By faith, Abraham received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven, and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you once again this morning and ask you to be here with us, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Spoiler alert, uh, Matt Damon does not die at the end of The Martian. Uh, The Martian is a movie uh, and a novel before that about an astronaut who is accidentally left all by himself on Mars and has to figure out how to survive while NASA, back on the ground, tries to figure out how to rescue him. And it's actually a testament to the skill of the filmmakers that any tension or stakes exist in this movie at all because you know that there's no way they're going to kill Matt Damon alone on Mars. Now, I needed to spoil the movie for you, and again, I don't consider not killing Matt Damon much of a spoiler, but I need to talk to you this morning about faith, and talking about the end of The Martian is a great way to do that. Actually, The Martian almost didn't make it into this sermon. I know, right? You almost got a sermon without a movie reference. This close. Uh, But then, this week, I think it was on Tuesday, I was in Half Price Books, one of my very favorite places, looking for a copy of Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Verne. They didn't have it, but I noticed there, The Martian by Andy Weir, right where Jules Verne should have been. Andy Weir, right where Jules Verne should have been, and I really liked the movie. So I decided to grab the book, and I was reading along through it this week, and I think I had the verses for this Sunday sort of subconsciously rattling around in my head, and I came to this amazing passage, not in the Bible, but in Andy Weir's The Martian. And it comes during a scene in the book where uh, the commanding officer of the ship that's trying to get to Mars to save Matt Damon, I'm just going to call him Matt Damon, even though in the book he has a different name. It's actually Mark Watney. When the commanding officer is worrying to another one of her astronauts that Mark Watney might not survive this ordeal. And this is what Andy Weir writes in The Martian. Martinez shook his head. He'll pull through, Commander. Have faith. She smiled forlornly. Rick, you know I'm not religious. I know, he said. I'm not talking about faith in God. I'm talking about faith in Mark Watney. Faith in Matt Damon. Then I remembered the scene at the end of the movie, which is why I had to spoil it for you. A scene which is actually not in the book, a scene set safely back on Earth in which Matt Damon is talking to a group of prospective astronauts about how he survived his ordeal on Mars. And this is what he said. At some point, everything's going to go south on you. Everything's going to go south and you're going to say, this is it. 
this is how I end. Now you can either accept that or you can get to work. That's all it is. You just begin. You do the math. You solve one problem and you solve the next one and then the next. And if you solve enough problems, you get to come home. Now this, you might say, is the thesis of the Martian, but might as well be the thesis statement of most of human life, right? Everything's going to go south, and when it does, work with what you have. Figure it out. Solve one problem, then solve the next, and then the next. And if you solve enough problems, you get to go home. In other words, when everything goes south, have faith in yourself. We have quite a different description of what faith looks like in our reading this morning from Hebrews, don't we? It's an incredibly different vision. Hebrews 11, which we read from, which you have in your leaflets, is all about faith, but it is really never once about the faith of Abraham and his family had in themselves or in their abilities. It looks like that on the surface, but if you read into it, it's really not even about those people at all. Hebrews 11 is about faith, yes, but it's about promises that are made and kept by God. It's a passage that's saying one thing, extolling the faithfulness of God, the promise-keeping nature of God. And it's saying this one thing in two ways. Uh, to sort of inscrutable ways at first. First, it talks about tents and a city with foundations and a promised land. And then it talks about Abraham's offspring from Sarah's barren womb. And we're going to look quickly at those two ways that Hebrews is talking about the faithfulness, the promise keeping of God. It's about first the completeness of the work of God. And second, the good news that that completed work is God's gift to you. So let's get into Hebrews. Uh, first, the completeness of God's work. A new home, a promised land is promised to Abraham, and Abraham believes this promise. Listen to the language of faith and promise that this story is couched in. By faith... Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Okay, so what's going on here? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob get up and go to this new promised land, and they're living there. But they're promised something better than a tent. They're living in the land now as visitors, as somebody who is not at home, but they've been promised something more permanent. And they have faith in this promise. And there is something unique that God says about these permanent dwellings that have been promised to Abraham and his family that makes this faith make sense. And listen here to the key phrase. For he, Abraham, looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. God is the architect and the builder of this city with foundations, a city that will last, 
The city that is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham in the first place. And I can't possibly hear this phrase, whose architect and builder is God, in Hebrews 11, without thinking of its complementary phrase just a few verses later in the beginning of chapter 12, when we are asked to fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So let's sum up a second here. God is building a city for the descendants of Abraham, and he has taken over every single aspect of the construction process. He is the financier, the founder. He's the architect, the designer. He's the builder, and he brings it all to perfection. From groundbreaking to grand opening, it is God's work. And what's Abraham's role in all of this? Abraham is the believer. That's it. He believes it. But of course, that's not nothing. In fact, that's everything. In fact, Paul says that Abraham's believing, his faith, is credited to him as righteousness. This believing is how Abraham becomes right with God. So we have this incredibly odd-seeming juxtaposition, right? Two seemingly contradictory things that are true at the same time. Abraham's believing is everything. It's what is credited to him as righteousness. It's what makes him right with God. And yet it exists in the context of total passivity. God is the founder, the architect, the builder, the perfecter. God here, God there, God everywhere. God does everything And Abraham believes it. God is everything. And Abraham believes it. So it becomes of critical importance that we see what this believing is all about. Right? And this is the good news about God's completed work being given to you. God's work is complete. Remember, he's the founder He's the architect, he's the builder, he's the perfecter of this city that he's promised to his people. But Hebrews also claims that he's the founder, architect, builder, and perfecter of the faith to believe in the promise. Remember, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of your faith. Does that sound crazy? That God makes the promise and then also makes the faith that believes in the promise. Well, it does sound crazy, and it sounds crazy because we are all, each one of us, Matt Damon in The Martian. We are fixated on solving our own problems. Remember his speech, everything's going to go south, and you're going to say, this is it. This is how I end. Now, you can either accept that or you can get to work. That's all it is. You just begin. You do the math. You solve one problem and the next one and the next. And if you solve enough problems, you get to come home. If you solve enough problems, you get to come home. This sounds so appealing because we can say, 
I am the problem solver and I get to come home. But this is not how God makes and keeps his promise to Abraham. Let's skip a little bit to 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul is actually writing about how it is that God does work. How does God accomplish what he wants to do? Well, does he do it the Matt Damon way? Ingeniously using the things that are around him to solve problem after problem. No, says St. Paul, God works a different way. Here's what St. Paul says. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. In other words, uh, none of you are as talented and smart as Matt Damon in The Martian. And if you were stranded on Mars, you wouldn't last 45 seconds. So even though we desperately want to be self-sufficient, we aren't. We desperately want to be able to figure everything out on our own, but we can't. We humans don't figure out how to survive. Our life overwhelms us and everything goes south. And then what we have faith in becomes of ultimate importance. And there is good news for us. But God, continues St. Paul, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chose what is despised in the world. He chose even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. God chose things that did not exist to show how much he can do. God doesn't use the things he has at hand, like your abilities or your qualities or even your faith to accomplish his purposes, to plan and perfect the city he's building for his people or to accomplish your salvation. Instead, how God likes to work is that he creates something where there was nothing before. After all, your faith or mine wouldn't accomplish very much, would it? If it was even the size of a mustard seed, Jesus says in Matthew 17, it could command a mountain to move from here to there and the mountain would obey. But again, good news For those of us whose faith is lacking, God doesn't need you to have faith. He's going to give it to you. God uses the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. He creates something where there was nothing before. Light from darkness. Life from death, faith from faithlessness, righteousness from sinfulness, salvation from a crucified son. And to prove that that's what he's up to here, he does it in our reading from Hebrews from Sarah's barren womb. 
Therefore, from one person, we read in Hebrews, and this one, as good as dead, descendants were born. As many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. From death, life. From a person who is as good as dead descendants are born. God gives gifts into the nothingness. He gives Abraham and Sarah children, a family through Sarah's dead womb. And he gives Abraham faith where there was none before. Faith indeed is a gift from God as Paul writes to the Ephesians. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Faith is yours, yes, but it is yours because God gave it to you. Matt Damon gets home from Mars because of his faith in his ability to solve problems. And that's all he has to offer his students at the end of the movie. Have faith in yourself. And that might be fine on your average Hollywood set or if you happen to be a brilliant problem-solving astronaut. But that's not good enough for me. And it's not good enough for you. When everything goes south on us, and when we say, this is it, this is where I end, we have a promise to fall back on. We don't have to smile forlornly and say, we're not religious. We are religious. And we are religious because God made us a promise. We have a city that's been built for us, a city with a firm foundation, a city conceived, built, and perfected by God every single step of the way. And we get home just as Abraham's descendants got home. We get to that city not because of the faith that we have in ourselves, We get home because of the faithfulness of the one who calls us. Listen again to Hebrews. By faith, Abraham received the power of procreation, even though he was too old. And Sarah herself was barren because he considered him faithful who had promised. It all hinges on God's faithfulness. Because Abraham considered him faithful who made the promise. Abraham has faith in the faithfulness of God. This is what is credited to him as righteousness. God's own faithfulness. He has been saved by grace through faith. A pure gift from God. This is good news. For those of us who aren't worth having faith in. We aren't saved because of our faith. We are saved by grace through faith in the faithful one. The grace of God in Jesus Christ. The righteous for the unrighteous. The law keeper for the lawbreakers, The living for the dead. His goodness for our sin. This is what saves us. And we... We are the believers. You are given faith in the one whose faithfulness 
is perfect. In the one whose faithfulness is eternally reliable. Jesus Christ, the righteous, your Savior and mine. Amen.